0: Hallelujah. Make sure that I'm on before we go forward. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, Lord. And right now we open our hearts as we open the word. And we know that your word says that it is quick and is powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, that it cuts the, the, the dividing line between what is our thoughts and what are your thoughts. We thank you that every word that went forth from your mouth was not void of power, but it accomplishes that which it was sent forth to do. So we thank you, Lord, that this morning as we open your word, that wisdom flows to us, that revelation knowledge comes to us, that your Holy Spirit takes hold with us, shows us things to come, as it, as your word says he does, leads us into all truth, but above all, leads us into your peace. Not as the world gives, but only as you give. The peace that guards our hearts and our minds. And so we thank you for that, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? You know, that was quite a... Quite a blustery drive in for you I had to make a drive, right? Wow. It all sudden, when we hit on the road this morning, it was like nice and clear. And all of a sudden the wind hit and it was like, couldn't see anything. You know, we really encourage you to be safe and stay warm on days when it's it's just the roads are impassable. If you can make it, come. If not, we will have it posted for you. You can watch it on the video or on the audio. It will be there by Sunday afternoon. It takes me a little time to do some processing. But we did have service last week. There was about 20 of us here. It was a nice intimate thing and we posted it for you via the video and I want to just take a moment and welcome all you that are joining us this morning via the internet, whether... It be on the other side of the world, whether it be down the street from where we are at right now, we thank you for joining us and just lock in with us by the power of the Holy Spirit we're going to have a good time. Yes. Well, we're continuing on in our series about what is so amazing about grace and I have to be honest, this series has really been great for me. So I hope that it's been great for you because uh, the longer you've been a Christian and the more you uh, begin to learn, uh, it's easy to take things for granted and forget what is the basics and what is the foundations and realize, oh my goodness, how far we allow ourselves to drift on some things. And so thinking about the grace of God and the awesome work that he's done for us because of his love. That has been great for my heart over the last, now, where this is week number five. And everything that, that has to do with God's grace all begins from His love. For God so loved the world that He gave. This is real love. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us. Everything about God's actions was based upon love. And religion has got things so screwed up sometimes that it's all about, you know, what we have to do for God. When, if you read the New Testament, it's all about what God has done for us, so now we can do. Yes. And we often put the cart before the horse. Yeah. What do I have to do? And really, you want to know the answer to that question whenever you think it, think about it? Stop and say, God, I receive your grace. Yeah. I receive your provision, I receive your empowerment. And then you'll find yourself actually be able to get things accomplished. You know, there's a story that I've quoted many times that has really impacted me, because I think about it often, and it was Gloria Copeland, when God was asking her to launch out into the healing ministry, They had just, uh, Kenneth was in school, he was flying the plane for Oral Roberts, they had just moved into a new house, everything was so busy, everything was in boxes, and God said, I want you to take every day for the next 30 days and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And she's like, that is a lot of reading, God how am I going to do that? I've got boxes to unpack, house to set up. I've got kids to keep fed and get to school. I've got to have food on the, the on the table when Kenneth gets home from work and off a long flight. And how am I going to do that? And he said, just take time and it'll be fine. And after the 30 days were over, she did it every day, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And when she got to the end, she realized... There was never a time where the kids weren't cleaned and dressed and bathed and ready for school. Food wasn't on the table. All the boxes got unpacked. Everything got done. And she even had extra time to do projects that she was thinking were going to be months down the road because she stopped and put God first, and that's where she found His empowerment. It's amazing what you can do when you put Him first. And so we're talking about the subject of grace, and in the New Testament, it's the word, the Greek word, charis. And it's a, it's a it, before Paul used it, and before it got used in the, in the Gospels, it was really a very simple word, and that Aristotle defined it this way He said it was helpfulness towards someone in need. You are the one that was in need. And God was the one that was feeling helpful. Just so we keep things in perspective here. Not in return for anything. So God wasn't expecting anything from you. Nor that the helper may get anything. So God is not expecting the return on this. He's something he just chose to do because he thought it was a good idea. And it says, but for the sake of the person who is helped. And so Karis, always defines an action. And when we talk about it in the Bible sense, it always describes God's action, not yours. And so in a theological sense, we define it as undeserved or unmerited favor, or God's ability and power in you. Now, I always like to say this when we preach about grace, and I don't think I've said it yet in this in this series, that I find that the good definition for grace somewhere falls in between there. Because if we always look at grace as undeserved and unmerited favor, it's easy for us to get the idea that we weren't worth it. I didn't deserve it, God. Oh, there was nothing that I could have done to ever reach, reach to this place. But you have to understand from God's side of the equation, He so thought you were worth it. He wouldn't have done it if he didn't think it was worth it. And so we need to be careful that we don't take on an unworthy mentality when we talk about the grace of God. God thought you were worth it because you were his beloved child. He didn't just create, create you so that you could go to the scrap heap. He created you to be sons and daughters. It says that we are joint heirs with Christ, that he is the firstborn among many brethren. He doesn't have one kid that he likes and the rest that he despises. God wanted kids. And so we need to keep, make sure that it's in between there. Yes, we could, didn't earn it, but God thought, you know what, I should give them my power and ability. You know, Zig Ziglar said this in his book, uh, How to Stay Up, Up, Up in a Down, Down, Down World. He said that Dennis the Menace is probably his favorite philosopher, which I thought was funny. (laughs) And he said that in 1964, they released a comic strip of Dennis the Menace where Dennis and his friend Joey are leaving Mr. and Mrs. Wilson's house eating cookies. And Joey says to Dennis gee, Dennis, I wonder what we did to deserve these cookies. And Dennis says, hey, Joey, Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're nice. She gives us cookies because she's nice. And that is a perfect picture of God's grace. He doesn't give it to you because you're nice. He gives it to you because he's nice. And in by doing that, He makes you nice. He sows little seeds into your life that produce harvest. And as you watch Daddy God, you begin to act like Daddy God. So we started our first two weeks talking about God's saving grace, which is where most people focus their grace on. And in Ephesians 2, 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, It is a gift of God. And we're going to continue to start here just because this shows us the equation of grace. God had a supply, and your only job was to believe it. He supplied the grace. You grabbed hold of it by faith. Not by works, not by actions, not by your goodness, by saying, God, I believe. And so if we think about salvation, what is required? It says all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that was required for you to say is Jesus, I receive you. I believe the work. And that's the foundation for grace. And so that's how we should approach all the other sides of grace. Because Peter told us to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God or the many sides of grace or the many ways you can look at it. Because any subject, you can look at it from different perspectives. So grace was not just for our salvation... It was for many other things. And so we have talked last week about Romans where it says, therefore, having been justified by faith. So if he's saying having been, when is been? Been is past tense. So he's talking about the, the salvation by grace has already happened at this point in Paul's conversation that we're having here. And so he says, because we've been justified by faith, by believing in the grace that God's provided, we have peace with God. So many Christians need to hear that. God's not angry with you. If you're watching right now via the internet, God is not angry with you. He loves you. We get the idea. And I, I, you know, I've heard this so many times while talking to people out in the world. When you invite them to church and they say, I've had this many times. You know, if I step through, foot through the door, I'm going to get hit with a lightning bolt. Because they think God is like Zeus. That some days he's happy, some days he's sad. If you don't give him the right offering, you just don't know what's going to happen. That is not God. Because of grace and because of faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, through whom we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So, if in the start of verse 1, we've already been saved by his grace... What is the other grace he's talking about that we access the same way by faith? Last week, we said this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? And so many Christians no longer attend church anymore because they fall into that category. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? And we told you that so much of Christianity has become about behavior modification. It's not my job to correct your behavior. It's my job to point you to Jesus who changes hearts. And if you change a heart, actions are no problem. And we've always been trying to say, do this and then God will be this way. And he's saying, here's what I've given, walk with me. And so he says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love that language because it reminds me of me with my boys. Whenever I pull out my tools to do a job around the house, which is like all the time because we have non-stop jobs in our house to do right now. Whenever I pull out my tools, it takes about 30 seconds for one of them to be there stealing my tape measure or taking my hammer and like, where'd that screwdriver go? I just set that down and here I see Pierce playing on the wall, copying daddy. Or they pull out, they have their, their own plastic DeWalt tools, and he's like, bang, 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 and it all starts out as fun until it turns bang, bang, bang on one of the other's kid's heads, you know? <laughs> but what do they do? They're watching me, and they're imitating me. You watch daddy God, and then you begin to imitate him. You begin to do things like he does them. And so he says, walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, we, ought, we take the word grace, and we put it into th- uh, different things in, in, in our English language. Like we would say, um, for a ruling monarch, we would say, your grace you know, meaning that you're great and you're worthy of my honor and adulation. But that's really not grace. Uh, we also say, you know, we're sitting down to have a meal. Let's say grace. That's, well, really what you're saying is let's say thanks. You know, that's not referring to grace. But one that I think is pretty fitting is when they talk about ballerinas and their, their movements. Should have kept Elsie up here to give one. And what do they say? Oh, they just move so gracefully or a a swan in a pond they just move gracefully what are they saying they move effortlessly and that's grace's intention in your life to take off the hindrances to take off the burdens to allow you to move effortlessly and so here jesus says to his disciples learn the unforced rhythms of grace i won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's God's intention for his children. Mm-hmm. So last two weeks, we focused on sanctifying grace. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace, and everybody say this next word with me, himself. So this is not about your work. It's saying the God of peace, whom we're at peace with himself sanctify you completely what the word sanctify means to set apart for his use and it also means to purify externally god has already done the internal work we read, read two weeks ago that he's or three weeks now That he's cut out the sinful nature. He's already done a work inside of you. As as Paul said, he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So he's already done an internal work, but also by his grace, he's wanting to do an external work. And so he says, May your whole spirit, which is where he did the first work in, soul and body be preserved blameless. What is the soul? It's the word psyche, which refers to your mind, your will, and your emotions. The word for body there is the word soma, which is generally just referring to the flesh sack that you carry around. Your body is not the real you. Your spirit is the real you. The one that has been been renewed in righteousness, it is made one with God. It's just like God. And so he's wanting to do a work that in your heart, which he did at salvation, and now he's also wanting to do a work in your mind your will and your emotions and how many people have you met that are just a mess in their emotions God is wanting to do a work in them where their thought processes are just so crazy when I hear how some people think I'm like seriously do you really believe what just came out of your mouth you really thought that But some people have just been taught to think so wrongly. And then we put up with things in our body that we were never meant to put up with. And so God is wanting to sanctify you completely himself. So God's grace was instrumental in bringing us to God, saving grace. And now his grace is instrumental in our walk with God. Didn't end at salvation. It continues on. And we have access to that grace every day by faith. And I said it two weeks ago, and I really encourage you to do it. For the next seven days, get up in the morning and say, God, I thank you for your grace. I believe that it abounds in my life, that it surrounds me. I stand in it now, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. It'll change your perspective. So before we can move on, we actually need to go back to something we were talking about two weeks ago. And in Romans chapter five, verse 16, now remember I asked you to read Romans chapter two through Romans chapter eight so you can get the whole picture because you start out in Romans chapter two and you're kind of like, oh, I feel like I'm going to hell. And then you realize he's contrasting two things. He's contrasting how it used to be and then how it is now. And then you get to chapter eight and you're like, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh yeah yeah! You know, and so you have to read things through. And we're so, we're so scatterbrained in today's culture. We take a little snippet here and a little snippet there. You need to take a wider look at the grace of God. So here in chapter 5, verse 16, it says, and the gift, what is the gift? It was the gift of grace. It was not of works, but a gift of God. It says, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Who was the one who sinned? We're talking about Adam. Eve was deceived. Adam chose. Eve was manipulated into her choice. Adam looked at Eve and said, oh, she didn't die, and ate. And so he chose, and that's the sin they're talking about. It says, for the judgment, which came from the one offense, him walking away from God, resulted in condemnation. But. So we have to understand, because of the word, but, He's contrasting two things, what used to be and now what is. Are we all on the same page there? But the free gift, the gift of grace, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. So Adam's one sin resulted in condemnation for everyone, but the free gift covered all All or the many offenses here resulting in justification. And the word justification means being declared righteous or to have right standing with God. In the simplest form you say you're in a good position with God. That's the easiest way you can say it. And if you want to look at justified, where we get justification from, theologically, you can paint a really cool picture here. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God views you through his righteousness. Because of the free gift that came. He Goes on to the next verse and he says, For if by one man's offense, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more. I love that because Jesus' gift and his work can't even really be compared to how much Adam screwed up. They're just not on the same page. It's kind of like the enemy throwing a pebble at God and then God nuking the enemy. (laughs) They're not comparable. And so... If through the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, say this with me, abundance of grace. So it's not just a little bit of grace that God has given. It's an abundance. What does abundance mean? More than you'll ever need. And the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. So because of the abundance of grace... And the right standing in which you now stand, in God's intention is that you will reign in life through one. Amplified says it this way reign as kings in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Why is that possible? Because Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that he has made us kings and priests. What do kings do? They reign. So we need to accept our real nature and reject the nature of the world to be satisfied with just getting by, getting on barely get along street. That's not where we live. We live in Irena's kings in this life. So God's intention was never for the world to dominate his children. If we take it back to the beginning, He says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image and to be like us. They will, everyone say it with me, rain. rain over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. God's intention for his children is to rain, which means there's something that needs to happen in us beyond sal- saving grace. We need to be start accessing his grace strengthening grace. And so I really appreciate that Christopher picked up that song this morning that uh, you are my strength, strength like no other, because your strength will fail, his will not. And so we can define strengthening grace as God's power and ability to energize and to inspire us to live victoriously and to reign over the challenges and the circumstances of life. You all ready for this? Okay, if you're joining me in your Bibles, you can turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11, it says this. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives us. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. So if let's get this under our understanding, when God imparts his strength, it's not just where you grit your teeth and I just hope I make it through this. That's not God's strength. It says it's the strength that causes you to endure the unendurable. When everybody else gives up, you keep on going. And not only do you keep going, you do it with joy. And it says thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything. Everyone say it with me. Beautiful and bright that He has for us. That's what God has for us, what is beautiful and bright. And God gets accused of some pretty sick stuff. But the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of change. He gives good things. It says that He is light and in Him there is no darkness. Half the stuff people say was God's fault, I'm like, where did He get it? Looks pretty dark to me. It says that light drives out darkness. So even if God wanted to get in league with the devil, as soon as he shows up on the scene to make that agreement with the devil, the devil has to flee because light drives out darkness. So I don't know how they can work together. They're polar opposites. God has bright and beautiful things for you. And it should be no surprise that under the covenant of grace, strength is one of the things that comes. Because even through the Old Testament, we consistently see where God shows up on the, strength, uh, on the scene and strengthens people. Look at Samson of all people. God, one of God's judges, his major characteristic was he had overwhelming supernatural strength where he can take on entire armies by himself, rip huge gates off of a city. How much more you who is his beloved child living under the covenant of grace? And so we can just take a quick uh, pictures of what's going on in the Old Testament here. In Exodus 15, 2, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. (laughs) Nehemiah 8, 10, Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 27, 1, written by King David himself, Mr. Moody Pants. (laughs) One day, one second, he's talking about how good God is. And the next thing, he's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. This is what he wrote. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Then in verse 14 he says, Wait upon the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. And then he reiterates it. Wait. You know, we get so busy and so caught up and wound up if we just stop and receive His grace and let it strengthen us. It would change how you'd approach the problem. Isaiah 40, 29, He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, He increases strength. So if that was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, how much more the children of the covenant of grace, the children of His love. Hebrews tells us that we live in a better covenant based upon better promises. So if it was possible in the Old Testament, how much more the promise in the New? And so we go, jump over into the New Testament, and everyone has heard this. You, you're not going to be surprised by the verse I'm about to pull out. Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, my biggest problem with this verse is always that people like to shorten it. I can do all things. No, you can't. You need to put the focus through You can't do all things. It says without Him, you can do nothing. You have to come to the realization that the only reason you woke up this morning is because He gave you breath. I love that song. It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only. Because seriously, He gave you the strength to go... And that there is worthy of praise. That's worthy of having a good attitude when you get going. So that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so we can get the idea, though, that it's like, Oh, happy day! Never going to have a problem again! Um, I hate to break it to you, that, that is not what I'm talking about here. Because often when we take that approach, that everything's going to be sunshine, lollipops and roses, that eventually when a problem does show up, everybody goes, God, why have you abandoned me? Oh, you've turned your back on me. God, I, I guess I just, I thought I knew you, but I really didn't. And, you know, we get into a funk because we had wrong expectations about what life was actually going to be. Here's what Jesus told his own disciples, one of the last conversations he had with them, in John 16, it says, Here on earth you will have, and most people don't want to read this next word, many trials and sorrows. Not just a few. It says, you're going to have many. Jesus warned them, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. The presence of problems does not indicate the absence of God and his grace. But if you have a problem, his grace is there to help you overcome it. That's why he said, "Take heart. I already overcome it." I'd rather be the one who with the one who knows how to win when by myself than by myself who has a pretty spotty record. You know, perfect record Jesus, not so perfect record Pastor Jordan. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I have to ask the question, can you have victory if there was no battle? You don't need victory for something you didn't face. Paul told his, the young ch- guy that he was mentoring, he said, fight the good fight of faith. So obviously there is a fight that is required within us. But it's a fight of faith. It's not a fight against the problem. It's a fight to believe. Your only job in grace was for you to believe. Grace came, you believed it, not of yourself, gift of God. So the fight that you have is to remind yourself, God has given me strength. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But there's also something else that can happen when you're talking about that it's all by faith, people can get into the idea that, well, you must not be in faith if you've got all these problems. I've heard people say that, you know. Yes, your faith isn't very strong. You're sick again. No, it's another opportunity for you to overcome by the power of God. If faith meant no more problems, then Paul had none. For 2 Corinthians chapter 11.23, says, I've worked harder, and I've put, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That one alone would suck. Three times I was beaten with rods. It just gets worse. Once I was stoned, not because he visited Tweed. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift in the sea. I have traveled. On many long journeys, I've faced dangers from rivers, from robbers. I've faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in cities, and in the deserts, and in the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. And I've been hungry, and I've been thirsty, and I've gone without food, and I've shivered in the cold, and without enough clothing to keep me warm." But where is the Paul that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Well, I have to tell you something. When that verse is quoted, 99% of the time, people quote it out of context. Do you know what Paul was talking about when he said that? Don't worry, I'm going to fill you in. (laughs) Verse 11, two verses before that, he says, Not that I was ever in need. (laughs) We just heard that he was. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty or with plenty. So Paul said, I've learned that whatever in situation I am in, I'm content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever you find yourself facing, God can give you the strength to get through. He's got bright and beautiful things for you. But Paul said, I have learned how to be content. Which means he didn't always know it. So how did Paul learn how to be content? And to access the strength of God. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse, chapter 12, verse 7, it says of Paul, it says that there was given unto him a messenger, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Now, most people take that and they twist it to say that it was a sickness that God gave Paul. But it says it was a messenger of who? Satan. So it didn't come from God. And when people say it's sickness, we have to understand what Paul had just finished talking about. He's saying, There's people keep coming behind me, and they keep telling everyone, You know, grace is good, but the law too. And they were stirring up people. This spirit was stirring up people. You know those, those problems that Paul went through? They weren't always problems of his own creation. The enemy was trying to stop Paul from spreading the message of Christ across the known world. They wanted to stop him from writing two-thirds of the New Testament so that we can be encouraged by what he had to say. The enemy was trying to stop him. But you know what Paul had to remember? Is that when he started at the very first, when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, and Ananias come to him, God's word to Ananias was... I'm going to show Paul all the things he must suffer, but I'm going to bring him before kings and before Caesar. So Paul knew where he was going. And so the bumps along the line, he knew, this isn't the end, God told me where I was going. I want you to remember when you're going through a situation, when things don't look so rosy, remember where God said you're going. Because it will tell you that right here is not the end. David said, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me, because you're with me. So, Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he says this in verse 8, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart. Now, the regular thinking is people say, and God said no, suck it up and deal with it, Paul. But do you want to know what God's response actually was? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response is this, therefore, because of his grace, And because of his strength, I will most gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God's response to him was, my grace is enough, not Paul's grace, God's grace. It was sufficient, meaning he had enough to get through. Guess what? So do you. You've got more than enough grace, and you access it by faith into the grace in which you already stand. It's not over there. You don't need to get to it. You already stand in the grace of God, and it is more than sufficient for the problem you're going through. God didn't say, suck it up. He said, I've given you what you need. And then he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Not Paul's strength is made perfect. The Lord's strength made perfect in weakness. When you've reached the end of your rope, let go. And let God strengthen you. And then Paul said, so I don't have a problem being in problems. Because then I know the power of Christ is available. So God wasn't telling Paul to suck it up. He was saying that in the midst of all these problems and this messenger of Satan that is trying to throw you off course, Paul, you've got enough grace, you've got enough strength, let the power of Christ lead you on. And that's exactly what Paul did. He went to Jerusalem. Yes, he was arrested, but it led him to being before, preaching the gospel before King Agrippa and the governor. And then from there he went on and he preached the gospel before Caesar. He fulfilled the plan and the purpose God had for him. And when you realize God will strengthen you daily, getting to where he showed you you're going is not a problem. It doesn't have to be all roses and lollipops and rainbows for you. Whatever situation you find yourself in, you can be content because he'll strengthen you right there to overcome. Amen. So Paul's response back to God was, so for the sake of Christ, I am well pleased and take pleasures in my infirmities, in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, in the perplexities, and the distresses. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am truly strong, able, powerful, in divine strength. The best thing we can do is let go of our strength. Grace does not operate in our strength. It operates in His. So literally, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Last note, He didn't say who strengthened It wasn't a one-time dose of strength. He daily, he moment by moment, second by second, strengthens you when we pull on the grace of God. So Father, we thank you for your strengthening grace. We thank you that it's not by our might nor our power, but by your Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you strengthen us, that we pull on the gift that you've given unto us, God. We receive your strengthening grace this day. We've set our minds to be able to think that way when we're in the midst of the problem, because when we know we're surrounded by darkness, your light drives it out. And so, Father, we thank you for that grace. We thank you for the good things you have for us. Those things that you call bright and beautiful. Holy Spirit, we ask you to stir up in our hearts right now to enable us to let go of those things we've settled for. And to draw our hearts to those beautiful callings you have for us. Those bright futures you have for us. Full of your supply and your strength. And we thank you for doing the work you say you do, Holy Spirit. And so we give you praise. Now maybe you've been watching us via the internet or you're here this morning and you haven't had that first encounter with His saving grace. It's not about your works. It's not about what you have done, how good or how bad. All that's required for salvation is to say, God, I thank you for Jesus, thank you for Jesus. and I receive. And he opens up his arms and he welcomes you into his kingdom. If you prayed that with us this morning on the internet, I want you to get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources to you and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. And if you prayed that this morning in here, we say, welcome home. We're a good church and you have a good future. So Father, we thank you once more. And we look forward to the great week you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are all blessed. Let's have a wonderful week. There's coffee and fellowship.